Hey y'all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema and television. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're talking about season two of the FX Hulu series, The Bear. We talked about season one last year, but season two is so extraordinary, we feel it deserves another episode. And, and though it, it premiered weeks ago, we find we are still thinking about it. So it seems like it really is, is worth talking about why it is sticking with us to the extent that it is. Um, so let's just jump right in. Dolores, do you have a hot take on The Bear season two? Yeah, I, I don't know how hot it is, but I got to take. Um, so I don't know if you felt this, Eileen. I, when I originally started watching the first couple episodes of season two, mm -hmm. I thought that the pace was noticeably like slower, mm -hmm. maybe, and like um, a bit artier. Um, and I was a little nervous that they wouldn't be able to sustain that or to create enough like tension and drama that way mm -hmm. um but i was really pleasantly surprised mm -hmm. to me each and every episode in the second season is almost like a standalone film and it's simply exquisite um and it the reason some of the episodes feel kind of standalone is because several of them follow single characters on their journey towards developing as culinary artists mm -hmm. <laughs> and restaurateurs um and to me, I don't know if this is true, but it seems evident or it looks like the budget got um, a little bit fleshed out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, the photography is gorgeous. Um, mm. And the, the settings where they're shooting are slightly more elevated because in this season, Carmi is taking um, his family beef shop, The Beef, um, and creating a fine dining restaurant, The Bear. So uh, the the environments where people are training for fine dining are, you know, definitely like uh, like more, if not more beautiful, I mean, I guess by many measures, you know, but um, they're just like very uh, like, like long, like elegant lines, you know, um, mm -hmm. characterize the surroundings here. Um, I thought it was just gorgeous. Like the tension is not only like maintained, there are like so many moments of people coming into their own greatness that mm -hmm. are so genuinely moving. Mm -hmm. Um, the line cook Tina is played by uh, Liza is her name. Uh, Liza Cologne Zayas, mm -hmm. um, is one of my favorite characters and I love this actor. She's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, she gets an episode um, and um, there we'll probably go through the character, many characters who sort of like um, rise to the challenge that Carmi has given them, mm -hmm. which is to be the best they can be um, in their given jobs for this, this new restaurant. But just, yeah, just seeing people get the opportunity to, try to be great um, and then to develop personally and to then pitch in towards this communal project, which is a restaurant, um, which, uh, you know, is like funneled towards what I think is the very um, like wonderful goal of making people feel great <laughs> for an evening. Mm -hmm. um, this is like my favorite thing in the world. I, I'm envious of it. Um, it's this thing I love most about, you know, like working in the arts um, is like people working towards a common goal to create an experience for other people. 
and everything about it's moving. It's wonderful. The acting is so good. And if you've heard about this season, you've probably heard about episode seven, which is a flashback episode to a family Christmas. <laughs> uh, it's it's very Eugene O'Neill. <laughs> um, it's kind of like it builds. I, I know portions of it were shot in a single take, like 20 minute takes at a time mm-hmm. with all of the these incredible actors. Oliver Platt, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Mulaney, um, the star of the bear, uh, Jeremy Allen White, you know, everyone like um, overlapping dialogue mm-hmm. um, and like at their finest. And that episode is like, it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's very like mid 20th century, you know, something out of like Albie, O'Neill, Williams, and, you mm-hmm. know, pick your tortured American family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, ooh, so true to life if you have a dysfunctional family. <laughs> Everyone's Under- still scarred by that episode. I still see people refer to that episode. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, I will never be watching that again. But no, it was either. it was art. Yeah. <laughs> Great and, as it was, it will only live on in my memory. <laughs> you bet. You bet. And I, truly the whole thing left me breathless. I mean mm. the the way everything was photographed, the um I learned well, I didn't know if I I don't know if I learned a lot, but I feel like I got a sense of what it's like to be creative about planning a menu, which mm. is something, you know, I'm not much of a cook. Um mm. but I really got like some insight into that, mm. and I think that the show also gives a sort of like blood and guts feeling of what it's like to open a restaurant, which seems damn near impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so um, I, I, you know, I kind of like got a sense of this world that I don't belong to. And that's another thing that's kind of like the best that entertainment can do too, is like, you know, give you a peek into the worlds of other people. Um, so I, I love this damn show. I, it's like, it's moving. It's beautiful. Um, I learn stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's great. How about you? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm with you on, you know, a lot of trepidation about season two because I love season one so much. And I th- early on, there were I think it was at the end of season one, there's pretty much indications of how season, where season two is going to go narratively, which is now we're going to try and scrap the beef and do the bear, this fine dining thing. Mm-hmm. And I was dismayed because I just thought I'm so into the whole experience of the beef. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so immersed and I love it so much. It seems a mistake to just completely change, or it seemed to me at the time, to change the term, term so sharply for, for season two. Mm-hmm. And then in the beginning, the same thing, like f- you, you have to kind of feel your, it doesn't have the same quality of construction that the, I don't mean that in terms of re- evaluating how good the quality is. I mean, and it doesn't have the same tone. It doesn't have the same feeling as far as how the structure is working as it does in one. It's a much mm-hmm. more complex structure. And so at first you do feel a little off, like, yeah, is this actually stumbling timing plot and timing wise or is this but is the longer you go the more you realize it's there's a method in all this it's all these de- some people have called them departure episodes or standalone yeah. episodes you know a whole episode pretty much devoted to marcus get uh who's the pastry um chef getting training spe- very specialized training in copenhagen and his his whole experience that's suddenly opened out hugely into this other culture that and how he's revel as hard as it is how he's really reveling in it you can see it doing things to him just mm-hmm. to be there so that's practically one whole episode um 
so as you go along and it's as it keeps working i mean it just like you you feel fearful like can they possibly pull this off and then it works and by working i mean the same kind of thing that dolores has already mentioned for me it was the sharpness of how many hugely emotional moments there were i couldn't believe it and i realized the extent to which i've got i'm getting so jaded (laughs) by most of my film and tv watching Mm -hmm. that i think it's partly me and partly what i'm seeing I'm just not moved. Even when I appreciate things, I, I find I'm ve- it's very rare that I'm moved anymore. Like an mm-hmm. example, when we just talked about Barbie in the last episode, I really liked certain things about it, especially all the, the wit, but I did not feel moved. Dolores felt moved mm-hmm. at certain moments where it was clearly, clearly indicated that you should feel moved here. <laughs> <laughs> I did not feel moved. Um, but that, I think it's as much me as it is. I've seen so much stuff. I've been at this film reviewing for so many years i think i've <laughs> just seen so much stuff yeah. and i don't think it's getting better i think it's getting worse i'll just oh, yeah. say it that's not exactly a daring claim to make anymore <laughs> it seems to me what i'm seeing is worse so at any rate to have something that's so moving that there are so many things you can point to and say that moment that moment that episode that it, it just seemed incredible like i've been more moved by the bear than by the last 20 films i've seen mm-hmm. i would mm-hmm. bet so, you know, you mentioned Tina having a kind of, you know, an episode sort of semi-dedicated to her, not dedicated. I can't remember if it's all about her, but it's a lot about her. It's a lot, yeah. And she's come a long way. If you recall, season one, she was completely opposed to changing anything. She mm-hmm. liked knowing how the beef ran and she wanted to do it that way. And it takes her a long time to be persuaded around when she finally realizes she will actually be a better cook if she follows what, the way Carmi is trying to show her to do something. That begins this this change. So she's really on board by the time you get to season two. But there's this wonderful moment where Sydney, who's now been kind of sort of elevated in a way in a role, it's a much harder role to play. She's now Carmi's full partner. She's gone from sous chef to full partner mm-hmm. in the second episode. And she's got so much on her plate that she tur- and she actually, what's her title? Chef de cuisine? Mm, I wouldn't know. Sorry. I think that's right. I read that. I didn't know that. <laughs> There's so, so many okay. terms that you just get thrown around and I don't know them. <laughs> but at any rate, so she's planning the whole, she's supposed to be in charge of the menu now. Um, and so she'll have a whole episode where she's touring various restaurants. She can't get Carmi to pay attention to her. So she's touring various restaurants, eating everything, yeah. trying to get inspired. But at any rate, at a certain point, she has so much on her plate. She turns to Tina. They're on the street. They're talking. And she very nervously asks Tina if Tina will be her sous chef. Mm-hmm. And she keeps prefacing it nervously with, you know, Tina's older than she is. Tina's very fierce. You don't want to run. You don't want to run a foul of her. <laughs> she keeps saying, you're probably not going to want to do this. It's a lot of work. You're probably not going to want to do this over and mm-hmm. over. Which she finally comes out with, would you be my sous chef? And Tina just wraps her in this intense embrace to the point that she lifts her off her feet. Mm-hmm. And then... Sydney's sort of nonplussed and wow, I guess that's a yes or whatever, and, and leaves the scene. And then they just hold on Tina's face. And Tina's face is just transformed. And you can see from her performance, which is great, um, that she, she sees the world completely differently now mm-hmm. because she's transformed. Like now I am a sushi. That's like now I have been invited to participate in greatness, as you say. You've been invited in. That's one of the most exhilarating things that can happen to a human being. <laughs> you haven't had it happen to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I've had it happen a couple of times in small ways, nothing big. 
and there's nothing more thrilling. It's the most thrilling thing. And so they got it exactly right. Someone did that scene who knows that feeling. Mm-hmm. And and so her look of just like the whole world is now changed and it's changed for the better because I am changed. Yeah. It's just so well done. I was so moved. I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> and uh-huh. there's so much of that in the bear. There's so much of a feeling of people are working on, on this kind of material that they actually understand yeah. or have done a lot of work to find out about because you get a lot of these kind of, it's unusual to get this this many kind of emotional hits and go, yep, 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 over and over. Yeah. And, the, you know, the, the famous, the now already legendary family Christmas episode when you go oh back five years in the Brzezati clan, the very troubled Brzezati clan's family life. Um, that includes most most obviously the suicide of Mikey, who's the bro- Carmi's brother who used to run the restaurant. But there's all mm-hmm. sorts of things. And, you, and it's all being indicated and hinted at and referred to all the way through. And as, to a certain extent, it's replicated. And of course, it's a family restaurant. So the dynamic is replicated in their interactions in the restaurant, mm-hmm. which are very, as you know, show creator and writer director Christopher Storer said, very gnarly. And he himself yeah. came from a very troubled family, very dysfunctional, mm-hmm. a lot of addiction, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of just, just constant <laughs> angst that would explode. And he said, well, his family would bond over food. That's how they could get back together again. So this is one of the inspirations for why he decides to take on this. Plus he hung around Mr. Beef in Chicago. Mm. From Chicago. So at any rate, the, the, the way that episode works, it, it, the way the tension just keeps building and building and building, and then it'll break a little bit. There'll be some successful moment of humor or something will get diffused. But you know, if you're from from a family like that, a tortured family like this, <laughs> that that's only the little break that's still part of the escalating tension. It's going to keep going until you get to some crisis climactic point, which is terrible. <laughs> it was going <laughs> to scar everyone's memories again, and you know it's coming. <sighs> God, and the yeah. way it builds, it's just it's just agony to watch, but it's also brilliant. It's just so brilliantly observed that you're just like, this is exactly right. I mean, the family that they're depicting, very Italian, very volatile. There's going to be violence. There's going to be a lot of loud arguing. There's going to be. So I wouldn't say that's how my family would have been. We were the much more interior, um, <laughs> indirect. <laughs> it could still wind up in screaming and violence, but it wouldn't be all the way through leading up to it so much shouting so much over that wouldn't happen but nevertheless that kind there's a kind of ratcheting up of tension and the attempts by people to secret it's the the whole episode starts wonderfully with the two brothers um uh, mikey and carmy trying to persuade their sister natalie it's natalie right natalie yeah not to say to their mother are you you okay okay, mom you doing okay don't say that (laughs) it, it sets her off so don't say that and, uh-huh. you, and so you're just sitting there going, you know, she's going to say it. Yep. You know, yeah. she's going to say it because everyone is so tense and so addled by the tension that they'll do the very thing they know they shouldn't do just out of sheer <laughs> automatic. They can't help themselves kind of thing. So, you know, it's coming. Oh, God. It's and Jamie Lee Curtis gives a performance. I didn't know she had this in her. It's, yeah. it's incredible. It, she gets exactly... She's supposed to be, they keep calling, referring her to her as an alcoholic, and she clearly is, but she's also clearly mentally ill. Yeah. Just horribly mentally ill. And so she's doing this hugely overbright Christmas thing while she tries to cook seven fish kinds of fishes. It's the feast <laughs> of the seven fishes, some crazy. So it has to be seven it's, different fish dishes. 
it's a it's an Italian Catholic thing. Yeah, it's a, yeah, uh, Italian yeah. Catholic thing. And she's and and it's so much more work that everyone is trying to get her to stop because she's so wound up and so in, it's making her so insane. Yep. And you know she, the, her whole way of reacting to timers going off. We've already seen that through the the beef. Um, the the season one is Carmi's life dictated by timers, and of course now you see he's just replicated what he grew up. With. Yep. <laughs> a kind of mad tension, trying to get the food because the food is central to the family life, but it also shows you how just insane the family is. It's that's also in the food. All of it's in the food. So she won't stop cooking these insane amount of dishes. It's way too much food, and it's way too much work, and it's way too much everything. And everyone keeps trying to help her, and that makes it worse. But then she blames them because they don't help her. And anyway, she has scenes where she's turn her eyes will turn. Like someone has said the wrong thing, even though they're trying not to. They're trying to say the right things to calm her down and, and ease her or ease her off the the ledge. And her eyes will just practically darken. Yeah. Turn, she, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. She got it exactly. I don't know if she knows about mental illness personally, but she'd think <sighs> from this. Is that from then on, you're just waiting. For the big one, for the and the whole family knows it's going to happen. They're even joking about it in that horrible gallows humor way. Through the din, they know it's gonna, it's coming. <laughs> Absolutely, and I, uh, I mean, like, I just know this type of woman too. Like, there's a huge void inside her because uh, she's from one of the you know many generations in human history who like uh, didn't get enough love and reinforcement in yeah. their childhoods. But there's there's um what I what. <laughs> <laughs> what is very familiar to me is like there's always this um wanting to be like validated for you know everything you do but no one any nothing anyone can say yes. can like fill that void inside yeah. of her so the kids are like falling over themselves to be like yeah. mom it's an amazing meal you know mm -hmm. it's so great and we and, love you so much mom and just yes. anything to try to give her what she needs but you can't give her what she needs it's and it just registers as pain because there's such a like wide gap between that reinforcement and what she feels yeah. that it just makes her crazier. And mm -hmm. it highlights the fact that she will actually never feel val validated. Validated yeah. is such a paltry word. I wish I had a better one, you know, yeah. um, but um, and that there's something very melodramatic in that. <laughs> In that oh striving, <laughs> you know, and that's like a style of emotion that I recognize mm -hmm. deeply. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. and um, yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. Like if you I'm sure many people have families like this, you know, um, and poor Natalie. Oh, my God. Natalie's character Ugh. breaks my heart when she's poor Natalie. You know, she's try, she's the one she's the daughter. So the she's daughter the one always like in the trenches. So yes. Yeah. And she's got to be in the kitchen with her mother. And it's kind of expected that she will be and has been since time began, you know. And so Natalie's the one who can tell when the shift is coming, like, you know, she's there and it just compulsively in order to like ward it off. You know, that's when she asks, like, you OK, mom? And yeah. she knows it's not the right thing. <laughs> But like you just feel for her, you know, like if you've ever been there and like you can feel the parent turning and you know nothing you can say can like make it right. But you fucking say it anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's ex devastating. So right. Yeah. And that horrifying scene when she grabs her face. Oh, my God. When the mother grabs her face, you know, they've they've been on the floor and, you know, the, again, poor Nat Natalie is trying every pleading way to say the right thing to make her feel better and it all, somehow all goes wrong you're just like oh and of course because we've seen natalie be quite tough 
and resentful and flinty in a lot of previous episodes to see her just like be this little pleading kitten <laughs> just yes. trying, trying to make everything okay is really 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 heartbreaking so you see how she got that <laughs> that's you of bet. course what it's all there for is to see how you know how they got this way and the mother's pronouncement i i make these beautiful things for you no one has ever made anything beautiful for me oh and of course that's carmy carmy is like fanatically been trying from from season one he's been trying to turn the beef into something beautiful that was him scrubbing floors with toothbrushes practically and and whole insanity of him trying to raise all the standards and have them all call each other chef when it was still a sandwich shop yep he's just obsessed and so of course it makes total sense in this context that now he would go right on to the ultimate beautiful perfect fine dining. it has to be perfect it has to be insanely perfect beyond anything any normal people have ever experienced Yep. Yeah, it was news to me that in fact they do this in fine in really, really expensive fine dining places. Like like try to overhear what somebody would really like to experience food wise and then create it spontaneously. I'm like, they can't possibly. And it's like, oh no, yes they do. And they oh research clients to try to do that. That's right. I was like, that can't be. Apparently it is. <laughs> no, it's incredible. And that's, uh, uh, that is really exciting and inspiring. Like it makes me want to work in a restaurant like that, you know, even though it'd be nonstop emotional breakdowns, but <laughs> yeah. oh, it's built in that they all know they are all driven and you can see how coming from that family, of course, part of, of course, I'm sorry to get into therapy speak, but again, we're stuck with these words now, unfortunately, it's very hard <laughs> to think of the alternate words. If you come from the dysfunctional family, your, your whole instinct is to recreate the dysfunction, even though you think you're running from it, you just, you just, you just turn it out again. So yeah. of course they all get into the restaurant business, <laughs> <laughs> which is going to be food obsessed, trying now to create something beautiful that they <laughs> could never do for their mother yep. and, and just the insane white knuckle quality of building to crisis all the time is now feel it feels normal to them so that's what they do yep exactly oh, exactly God, and, <laughs> and then the kicker is natalie's husband who's like not italian brings mm. an eight oh. fish dish <laughs> he brings a fucking tuna casserole <gasps> yes and he doesn't understand what that what he's done <laughs> yeah. they think this will be the bomb that's going to go off so they're just they're, what do they do they just hurl it outside yeah they? they're like don't let her see it, <laughs> you can't see it. Get it out of here, get it out of here. <laughs> he brought an eight fish. And he's like, but then I'll have come empty in. It's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Throw it in the bushes, anything. <laughs> yeah. Which is hysterical. 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 Yeah. Hysterical. Yeah. It, no, I you mean, can go on and on. You can go on for hours about that one episode. I literally know someone who said I cried during that episode. I wept oh. during that <laughs> and for me it was just like it just lived with me for days it was in my head for days and days i couldn't i couldn't cast off the whole darkened tone of it it was very very intense and yes but you yeah. know just saying that that's all that's exciting and you're so right to bring up a certain type of theater that's what you used to go to the theater for you know oh yeah you went to see an lb play or a eugene o'neill play for that to come yeah. home wrecked by it, yeah, feel possessed by it for days or weeks, and what that was art, and now you're like, what? <laughs> it doesn't even seem like that's a thing. You bet. Yeah. You bet. So that yeah. shows you where we are. We're really in the shallow end of the pool, um, art wise, these days. It seems. 
So um, this is okay. This is just a like quick detour, but yeah. randomly, I went to Eugene O'Neill's house in Danville like three days ago. Oh my god! <laughs> it's in Danville, California. BT Dubs, who knew? Um, and it's run by the East Bay Regional Parks. And this is just to demonstrate like the uh, discomfort in our contemporary age mm-hmm. <laughs> with like this the kind of emotional intensity that one would find in Eugene O'Neill or the bear um so you go there and like there's like a park ranger with like a smoky the bear hat and mm-hmm. I, they pitch their Eugene O'Neill house tour to people who like maybe haven't seen Eugene O'Neill plays which is really interesting because I'm like well, why would someone either. come here <laughs> <laughs> you hadn't seen long days journey into night or something you might <laughs> Even so, like their their whole talk is like prefaced with um, some of the details about his life are very upsetting. Um, he could have probably used therapy, but that wasn't <laughs> widely like. Known. And you're like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's Eugene O'Neill. <laughs> oh so it was so funny to go through this whole thing and like the ranger had to kind of like pause and prepare us before introducing the details of his life. Yeah. I was just like dying. It was so fucking funny. <laughs> but to go- <laughs> just to give you like a sense, um, this is my favorite detail from the tour. There is a black mirror, literally black, in Eugene O'Neill's room, his bedroom, into oh. which he gazed every morning. <laughs> what do you mean black? Literally black. It's tinted black. You can't really see yourself. Oh my god! You are joking. That is magnificent. It's amazing. It's amazing. Anyway, so that's anyway. The the bear has a yeah. This is just to say, like, God bless the bear for bringing us back the dysfunctional American family. What it's so great at demonstrating is life has not stopped being dysfunctional. Yeah, people have not stopped, you know, intensely suffering. Yep. We just don't seem to be able to rep- to represent it well anymore. Yes. I was just talking to someone about this. They were talking about how something like, doesn't it seem like nobody feels anymore? Isn't that, doesn't it seem Ooh, like it? Like our whole relationship to film is nobody feels or they, they, or they think they feel because there are certain pointer moments in films that sort of say, this is where you would feel this. Yes. But, but And they're sort of, so they sort of think they've had it, but if you try to get them to explain it in any detail, they they clearly don't feel it. <laughs> oh, it does seem like that, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it just seems like we're in a weird phase where we're morphing into something that's hard hard to even understand. But yeah, so to so to be plunged back into anything like that, the older experience of representing what human agony is is so shocking because again, it's because it's it, it's new and we just don't. Ex- I don't think we expect it out of new things. And I think yeah. that's why the word word went around like wildfire about this episode i had finished my review and i only had they wanted to rush so i only got up to five i think or five or six i was right before episodes finished the review put it in and then started seeing everyone referring to the the episode and i was like god damn it was too late to get it back yeah yeah it just became famous (laughs) yeah 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 well i also, I think like the working class setting has everything to oh, do everything. with the vibrancy of the emotional expression, you know, yeah. like middle class people don't behave like this. Uh, certainly upper class people don't, you know, and so that's uh, like, you know, it's enlivening. Um, yes, and, the, and that's one of the great strengths. I've, I've always harped on this in reviews is it's great with money. It's great with showing the the miserable difficulty. And, you know, here here's an attempt in two, especially to 
to be great. Carmi was making a lonely, continuing attempt to be great in impossible circumstances at his old shabby family restaurant, Beef. Yep. But now he's got everyone on board. And so they're all trying to be great, as Dolores is pointing out, in, which is already moving, by the way, <laughs> um, um, in, for the bear the restaurant. But all through, the insistence on money and the impossible difficulty of money has been great. And, and I've, got a, I've got a quote from Christopher Storer. I think, it, yeah, I think I've had it in my first review is where I got it. But um, mm -hmm. it's a long interview with him. Um, but he talks about it. And he said, even when you're in the development process of any show, for whatever reason, I have found that people are really reticent to talk about money. And I'm assuming they mean studio executives, producers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Like we kept saying that it seems small stakes, but it's giant stakes where 100 hours can make a giant difference to a business. So he's talking about how impossible the restaurant business is. And I said, you can't, you can't make the show without getting into that. You can't make the show without talking about how finances ripples through everything. And then mm -hmm. he goes on to talk about the impossibility of the restaurant business. Like, I can't tell you how many chefs told me oh yeah, on opening night, a toilet exploded or the sink didn't work or whatever it was. The cooking, that's one skill of a hundred that it takes to operate a place. But the constant agony of the money has been great from the beginning because it's, it's just makes, your life is so impossible and season two ratchets it up as they go for the bigger goal, the far bigger goal. They want yeah. a great fine dining restaurant and even with the money that they found cashed you know, in a big giant cash by um by uh Mikey before he killed himself. He had a secret stash of money that he was owed to the uncle, <laughs> played by Oliver Platt, Uncle Cicero, yes. and never paid. Um, even with all that money, they still have to go back to Uncle Cicero for more money because they do a budget and it's like we run through that money in no time. And it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So they need some gargantuan sum. And the only way to get it is to make impossible promises. He'll get the whole restaurant, all the property that it's worth, which is worth millions, a couple of million dollars, if they can't, if they can't open and go and see profit in, I forget what it is, 18, what is it, 18 months? 18 months, I think, yeah. Months. It's insane. Yeah. So you really take something that was already virtually impossible and make it totally impossible. Like it, restaurants yeah. notoriously don't turn a profit for a while. Yep. That's part of the difficulty. You have to have enough funds to keep going and going and going before you make any money. <laughs> yeah. So you're just... It's just white knuckle. And throughout the show is this, these constant reminders of how many weeks out, 11 weeks out, seven weeks out, whatever, whatever the thing telling you how long they have. And you're starting to see things written on the whiteboard, like fuck my life to death. People's <laughs> <laughs> whole, whole existences have just become this hell of never, never being able to stop working and focusing on this just virtually impossible task. That, that yeah. is so well handled and so rare. We tend not to get the material conditions. Hate to go all Marxist on you. But yeah. that's what's most often effaced. How can anyone afford this? What are the actual money amounts? Like people naming figures. How much do you have to have? When yes. do you have to go into profit? There's a certain point where um, Natalie, who becomes the, the, like the manager figure of the restaurant, um, and she's like, we're going to have to raise all the, we already, we, haven't, we aren't even near opening. We're going to have to raise all the prices of everything. Because we yes. just can't make it. Five percent, yeah, five percent <laughs> across the board. So you're just like, this is exactly what we need to be seeing all the fucking time. Because that's what gets glossed over in most, you know, um, Hollywood produced entertainment of any kind, for want of a better word, products. That's Absolutely. what you take away first. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's so brave that because it's true. That's the true taboo of American society. Oh, totally. Is. 
Well, se- people will try to make it sound like we, we can't be sexually open. Oh my God, we'll be sexually open all day long. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, this is that's and that's and it also makes you appreciate like when you do go into a restaurant, it's like people who've never worked retail, you know, mm-hmm. when people go into a restaurant and complain about whatever this or that, it's like you have no idea. They mm-hmm. were making no money. <laughs> mm-hmm. They are making no money whatsoever. So I think it's just like a good education for everyone. Yes. <laughs> so. Have it rubbed in your face constantly. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Even when you sure. think you have enough money, you never have enough money. That. Unless you're truly a rich person, a truly wealthy person always has, because then money starts begetting money. But Mm. for for most people who have to do any kind of work for a living, there's never enough money. You're just never. You're always having to cut corners and you're always having to make terrible deals. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, that that's a huge virtue. And um, should we talk about a little like so for me, this season was really great in terms of character development for Sydney played Mm -hmm. by Ayo Adibri Mm -hmm. and um, also for um, uh, oh cousin Um, what's Richie uh, yeah cousin Richie and it's uh, Eben Moss Backrack who's great yeah and those are two characters who like Sydney in season one I think some of the writing for her character didn't like ring true to me there were Mm -hmm. some like situations where I thought it was kind of like hollow and fakey and this season like totally um rooted her Mm -hmm. in a way that made everything she did seem very authentic Mm -hmm. and we find out that she uh her mother has been like deceased since she was very young Mm -hmm. and that's something that she conceals Mm -hmm. uh we find out like a little bit more about her father and Mm -hmm. we also get to see her like be creative with food Mm -hmm. um and and you know like doubt herself and go through all kinds of journeys in her test kitchen Mm -hmm. but i thought that this season like really meaningfully deepened her character um and we haven't even really scratched the surface about why she conceals her mother's Mm -hmm. death you know but we'll find out and there's also like well, okay, I'll save that. But um, and then for cousin, so for cousin Rich, Richie, mm-hmm. um, you know, Richie's a huge pain in the ass throughout season one, and th- this actor's performance was one that like bothered me because his Chicago accent is excellent, mm-hmm. and something about it was like too good for me or something. I'm like, I don't know. It's like too well studied. I don't believe this guy. He again was redeemed for me in season two. Um, he's his arc is extremely moving. Cousin cousin Richie is a huge fuck up. He's a huge pain in the ass in season one, and he blocks Carmi at every turn. Mm-hmm. And in season two, Carmi um puts him in a role that will be what is it like front of house sort of? I yes. mean, would you say? Because he's because Carmi believes that in him and he's good with people, and cousin Richie eventually like initially. And his apprenticeship uh, at this fancy restaurant um, is totally resentful. His job is to polish forks. He mm-hmm. thinks it's bullshit. He's not doing a very good job. Um, and something uh, something changes. He gets sort of like a talking to by uh, the person who's training him. And the person who's training him really fucking loves the work of running a restaurant. Mm-hmm. He loves serving people. Um, he thinks, you know, it's like noble and exciting and he lives for it. And this kind of like turns 
the tide for Richie and Richie, Richie starts polishing forks well. <laughs> and then he gets to shadow some people who make all the calls about like seating and get to do the fine work of listening to people and like anticipating their needs and desires. Like you were saying, Eileen, that like amazing, miraculous stuff they do about like listening to people's conversation, anticipating what would truly delight them. Um, and it turns out Richie's great at this. Um, he's, you know, he's a natural and it's like really fulfilling for him to make people happy. Um, and so he starts wearing a suit, uh, not only for his internship, but also like in everyday life, you know, he starts like respecting himself. Um, Mm -hmm. and that is like so freaking moving. And it's a very like, well illustrated arc none of these arcs come out of nowhere they're Mm -hmm. all like exquisitely motivated um and like brilliantly shown and they're showing not telling this is not a show that where characters have like captain obvious speeches about Mm -hmm. their changes of heart which i love um so i just wanted to say like shout out to that (laughs) yeah and it's that's all contained in my second favorite episode which is right after the family one which is called forks yeah. So it's another great, that's the Richie episode. And and I did read one comment by some, I was raving about it on, online, and somebody said, oh, I found that totally unbelievable. <gasps> like the whole show, because so many people are just turning on a dime and redeeming themselves. And I'm like, no, no, no. The, the excitement of being part of something where you, where you b- make your bid for great mm-hmm. can change people a lot in the short term. The whole point of the, the, the end, the way the, sh- the season ends is, it's the hard part is making any of it last. Yeah. <laughs> the sheer excitement, the sheer exhilaration, the challenge, all of these, these kind of make or break feelings, people can really excel for a while. Exactly. Yeah. It's, can they, can they keep it going when it stops being exhilarating and it's just work? That's where you're going to see people break down. And so for Richie, they've really, it is a dangerous thing. He has to change fast, but because we've seen him get more and more desperate because everything he does that was wrong before in season one, Mm-hmm. Season one was when he was defending his own turf. He liked the old beef. He felt yeah. at home there. <laughs> and he, he fights Carmi on everything, not only because he envies Carmi and he's unsure of his own place in the family, but because it's Carmi stomping onto his turf, making him, you know, try to change. Well, now mm-hmm. it's all, they're all on Carmi's turf. They've all agreed to go over to do what Carmi would do. Yeah. And so he's completely displaced. There is no place for him. And he's making so many huge mistakes by, by you know, his whole reaction is to become bigger, louder, braggier, try to take things over that he doesn't know anything about. He's making such huge mistakes that you're like, you know, you're coming to a crisis point. It's either yeah. that he's going to have to be let go, which couldn't be more painful because he, he feels he's more family. into the Brizzotti family than they are. Mm-hmm. Or he's going to have to find his place. It's, it's one or the other is going to have to happen. So it, it is daring in that, but the, the, you're right. The way they build to it is by making it like you, nobody says this, but you're watching it going, well, they can't let this go on. Right. They can only go on making huge, expensive mistakes so long before <laughs> yeah. something's got to give. And so what gives is forks. He goes and gets sent for training and mm-hmm. finds this unexpected ability. It gives him his ability to suddenly be somebody more important, which wasn't, wasn't happening for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he he didn't get his chance to be <laughs> a kind of guy who would stand out in the world. So he envies Carmi, but now he gets his chance. If he puts that suit on, it's transformative, and he suddenly he finds he's actually good at this. Yeah. So it really is movingly, exactly, movingly motivated, because he was going to go one way or the other. He was going to yeah. go down the chutes, or he was going to find a way. And so he finds a way. 
whether he can keep it going is already in question in the last episode where he has a huge falling out with Carmi. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and I don't, so the end, hmm. All right. This is one of the things I've seen mentioned in some of the reviews. Mm. Carmi develops a romance with a girl next door who he liked, you know, during high school and whatever. Um, she's a sweetheart. She Mm. is now a nurse. Um, you know, uh, like this is the dream of all of his family to have him hook up with her basically. Um, Mm -hmm. and who, who is, who is she? Molly Gordon. Mm -hmm. You've seen her in a million things. Um, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure what, but you know, whatever she's, she's a good actor. And I've read some reviews where it, it says, you know, this romance is a little underdeveloped. Um, I think it's fine for what it is. You know, we're just for Carmi, this is important because, um, he's having all sorts of, you know, growth um in the restaurant industry but one thing that he really needs to like or one thing that would really challenge him is having to be close to another person right and molly is sort of like his er, molly claire is sort of like his dream girl and you know here here he is on the precipice of success um and this girl likes him now you know and and they're in a romance like it's it's too good and he has to blow it up yeah. So you're left at the end of the season with him. I, you know, maybe don't, we don't have to spoil everything. No, exactly. But, but he, yes, he does something incredibly dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah. he sort of blows it up. Yeah. Um. And I, you know, I, I'm dying for the next season of the bear. I think, mm. I think it was actually a pretty brilliant way to end it. It seems well, so true to Carmi's character. <laughs> like, yeah. You're just waiting the whole time for how is he going to wreck this thing? <laughs> yeah. He's exactly. kind of trying to torpedo it, even though he may, may he clearly wants it. He gives her his uh, his phone number and it's the wrong phone number. You know, yeah. you know, part of him, he's he's got equal weight going toward her and going away from her. And but again, they did nice work in developing why her um, without yeah. a ton of character development. It's it's he's in therapy. He's in his therapy session. And, you know, Molly Ringwald is the therapist. There's a lot of guest yeah. spots that announce to you that you know, this is a cool show and people want to be in it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, so anyway, and he's talking extensively, obsessively about how there's no, he's, he never has any fun. There is no joy in his life. Yeah. You know, this isn't joyful what he's doing. Right. He's driven to do it. <laughs> it's not fun. And that's another thing I admire about the show. It's, it's the nature of ambition. It's so good on that. It's just like some people just have a motor in them and it won't let them rest. Mm. They're driven, driven, driven. And it's not because it's such a fun time. <laughs> right. It's because they have to. They can do no other. He has, he's just driven to do this thing. So anyway, he's talking about it. Like he, so he, you know it's on his mind. And then in the Christmas family episode, there's all this reference to they've seen they, the, his brother and, and Richie. I think it's his brother and Richie. Mm-hmm. And know he has a crush on this girl and never did anything about it from way back in school. And she's back in town and now she looks really great. So they're trying to encourage him um, to to go ask her out, talk to her, whatever. But they're doing it in a way that's, of course, mocking and belittling all those classic family dysfunction things where yeah. they can't just be nice and say, we're worried about you, Carmen. We, you should really, she's a nice girl. No, they have to put it in all sorts of insulting, <laughs> mocking, bad ways. So, of course, he's super defensive and is insisting he never really liked her that much, all that jazz. But yeah. it's it's there's a long history with this young woman. What that's why it's her. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't just be any young woman who was pretty who approached him. Somehow. Yeah, it's this. There's a whole family thing. 
that has to do with why it's got to be her. And she's too good to be true. She even works as a very intensive job. Right. So she's not always going to be around clinging to him. She's got her own insane work schedule. Right. So then you're almost too hopeful, like, oh, this could really work. <laughs> totally. <laughs> then part of you knows, like, no, Carmi, he's not going to let it work. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's devastating. It really is. We haven't talked much about Carmi, but like, still love him. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And, and he's taking a little bit, even though he's everywhere in the in the show, he's yeah. not he's not as it's he's not as obviously the focus point in this one. Because it's yeah. devoting time to these other characters in so many ways, large and small, even if they don't get whole episodes. Like it's so moving another of the moving moments is is Ebra, Abraham. What's yes. his name? I don't know. I'm trying to find the actor. Where is he? Uh, Abraham. We have the huge cast list here. Who plays Abraham? Who plays Abraham? He's really great. Ed- Edwin Lee Gibson. There you go. There's a super moving thing where he gets sent to basically chef training school along with Tina, but where she's all on board, he's completely resistant because he's like, I know all this. You know, he's older. He's got gray hair. He's he's like, this is ridiculous. I know how to do this better than anyone. And then he gets in there and he's surrounded by young people who can literally all chop vegetables like. Da, 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 and he yeah. can't so yeah. all of a sudden it's this horribly humiliating moment for this man and he's there you stay there's just this one so ugh, gripping moment of him staying at, he's there by himself after hours chopping 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 just try to get to be as good as they are at this very seemingly simple task because suddenly he's like oh my god i i can't i i my 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 move toward greatness which i don't want to make Turns out maybe I can't make. Yeah. Which is much more humiliating. So for a while, he literally quits. He leaves the restaurant. And it seems like he's going to be the only one of the all the cooks who are involved who can't make the leap. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's actually, it's just a small storyline. And Tina finds a way to save him. So I'm sorry, spoiler. But yeah. Because <laughs> you can tell this is very important. Everyone wants everyone else to be able to come along. And it's just a matter of trying to figure out who can do what. Right, exactly. And, and and so it really does, I thought for sure they were going to let him go and I was. it was really going to be heartbreaking. If, yeah, I'm so glad they brought him back. <laughs> oh, I know, I'm so relieved. Yeah. <laughs> but that's also very true to life and not at all unusual. In these kind of group endeavors trying to be great, it's not at all unusual to see someone get basically sacrificed. You're the yeah. one who brings nothing to the table, you're the one who can't make the trade, or yes. the one who quits because they know that that's coming or whatever. That's also very well observed. Mm-hmm. So, so many things. So, so, but given all that, all that stuff is going on, of course, Carmi doesn't have seemingly a central role, but he has constant through lines. One of the big through lines is he's so, he's so busy, everyone is, but he's also so distracted by the new relationship because he has never had a real relationship. Mm-hmm. He keeps forgetting to do one key task. <laughs> yes. Small task. And it's again, how true to life. How many times in your life have you oh. kept letting the one thing slide? that is then going to trip you up. It, it haunts me. They on. have a phrase like that they keep repeating in the show. There's always one more thing. And yes. I'm like, stop, Ava. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it haunts me. It is. <laughs> but, it's so yeah. exactly. It just sticks with you. It's so exactly like, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he is omnipresent, but he, he just has to make room. And he's, yeah, he goes on being, he's great. He's absolutely great. Born to play this part. Fabulous. Yeah, Jeremy Allen White, like not overhyped. So, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I know he's got a lot of hype, but he's fucking excellent. Yeah, he really <laughs> so, is. Oh, and there's one and, thing I wanted to mention that I thought I wouldn't like. There were a number of things from the start that I thought, oh, I'm not going to like this when I recognized it. And then it turned out it worked great. 
there's a whole sports metaphor that goes on. Yeah. It's not even a metaphor. It's literal. Um, where the comparison is, this is like when you're trying to create a winning team. And you're, or you're trying to realize your greatness as you're already a, a good player, but you're trying to become a great player. And how do you do that? And so everyone's mm-hmm. reading this book. What the hell is the book again? I wrote it down. Oh, yeah. By the oh, By a basketball coach. Shit, uh, Mike, Mike. I have it written in here. You, you do. Krz- okay. Krzyzewski? Leading with the heart by a basketball yes. coach, Mike Krzyzewski. I hope I've got that name up. I think I do. Yes. And it becomes this thing that they're, that various people are reading as they're trying to get their heads around what is it because it's it's there's all this there's all the obvious things that you do to get ready you get extra training you but then you it it is true there's a kind of sports awareness and not that i know a ton about sports but i know this much that there's there's just these mysterious other things there's mysterious other levels you can reach but they're not going to be the straightforward ones have you ever seen the movie bull durham it's all about that yeah totally where how do you get to be that that much better than everybody <laughs> um, who could, who they're all doing the same common sense thing, getting the same tr- kind of training, getting, you know, if they can afford it or whatever, or they have the time or they have the dedication, they're all doing that. But then there's this beyond thing. Like, you know, are you the, ba- are you the football player who goes and takes dance lessons? I forget who that is. My husband, he would always talk about him. He went to dance lessons and it improved his game or, you, or, you know, these things that might seem mm-hmm. like people would scorn you or it would be ridiculous or whatever. That might be the thing that unleashes your greater power. So, so that becomes one of the things. Or are you going to go into a slump, the mysterious slump? Well, Durham yeah. is very good on that. And it can anything can throw you off because you're you're, you're at such a fine tuned level of of performance. All, all of a sudden, things can throw you off. So Sydney goes through a slump where everything she cooks, all the sauces she makes, everything they're test, she's tasting it with Carmi, and he's just like ah, they're like hurling it away from them because it's so bad. And yep. she doesn't know how what she's doing wrong. She doesn't know how she suddenly lost her lost her touch. Yeah. So that kind of thing. So there's all this sportsy stuff being mapped over it. That first second was like, ugh. <laughs> but really, they're right. It's very insightful. It, it winds up being insightful, I think, by the end. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's 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 excellent. Um, and the other thing with the Sydney character, and I was aware of my own training. So mm. Sydney is, you know, the main. Uh, she's she's a woman. Carmi is a man. And I was like, are they going to have a romance? Mm. And they're the same age, you know, and they have the same passion for cooking. And obviously. they have tremendous chemistry together. So their talks together are always very riveting. Exactly. Exactly. And it seems like in several ways, they're the only ones who can really understand each other because they mm. have that same ambition. Mm. Um, and, I've, you know, they do. So Carmi starts dating Claire and uh, Sydney's character gets jealous, but the show is pretty graceful about it. You know, she's jealous because Carmi isn't giving her or his whole attention to the restaurant, which mm-hmm. is their shared project anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I was aware of like doubting that myself, you know, and thinking like, oh, no, she must have feelings for him. But you know, maybe it's just my training that like everything between a, a girl and a boy <laughs> needs to turn into a romance. So I think they did maybe like a romance will develop down the road, but like whatever they're doing is not conventional with the way right. these two characters are relating. You seldom see like a man and a woman as partners who aren't mm-hmm. cops, right. <laughs> you know, like being equals in a television show. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I do think we ignore the possibility of the romantic friendship. Oh, where, yeah. Which is, which is kind of what I'm hoping this is going to be, where you're working, you you are so intensely right for each other as friends that there is this almost a kind of romantic quality to it. Yeah. Um, 
it's more than just friends. You're so drawn to each other. It has a quality of romance, even if it doesn't turn into a literally sexual thing. Say. Yeah. That I, I kind of think they're doing, but we'll see. Who knows? It could be one of the big missteps of season three. <laughs> they get yes. together and it does terrible things to who knows what it'll do. Um, because there's also Marcus who has a big crush on Sydney and has for a while and is finally getting very, very impatient um, and coming out with it. Like, why do you shut me down all the time? Right. Um, she seems to also respond to him and like him, but nothing ever happens. And Marcus has his own beautiful episode. Um, mm -hmm. So Marcus uh, is one of the original workers at the Beef and discovers that he has a passion for making desserts. Mm -hmm. And he gets sent to Amsterdam to learn from like, you know, whatever, at the finest patisserie or something. I don't know what you'd call it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and he lives on a houseboat while he does it. And his journey there is so like monastic and beautiful and mm -hmm. enchanted. It's like, you know, the best of what you can imagine learning your craft in a foreign land <laughs> would be like yeah um, they do they do they, they do the romance of travel very well but in a way that you can still believe because yes. he's so ready for it he's so ready for the transformative interlude yeah and in so many ways it is ideal he doesn't have that he's going to be in an intensively being being taught and trained every day so he's not like he can just do ordinary he can't dissipate it through ordinary touristy yep you know, he's going to go to the houseboat. He's going to go to the restaurant where he's being trained. He's going to see a few things, but that's that's it. So it becomes very purified, the whole experience. And of course, he has very, they really handle well, I think, his experience with the master chef, which is um, played by Will Poulter, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, is is fairly brutal with him, but not, it has no heat behind it. Cause it's just like, you just have to learn. <laughs> yeah. So he just has to keep saying no wrong. Nope. That's wronger still. And no, yeah. well, you got to place that garnish, tiny, tiny microscopic garnish. Absolutely. Perfectly. You 18 bet. times. You know? you bet. Um, so there's all this absolute exactness. And, but of course, since Marcus is so ready for that experience, um, that it turns into this really quite beautiful, teacher-student relationship. And of course, there's a kind of very strong hint, more than a strong hint, that, he, you know, he winds up, the, as they get to know each other better and become more like kind of friends, um, the master chef tells him about his own experience coming up against a chef much better than him. And the indication is very strong that he came up against Carmi. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Carmi um, so was the master that he was, even though he had always been the best cook anywhere he went, suddenly he's up against somebody much better. And that's, of course, another sports thing where or any kind of achievement thing where you're great in your locally and you go on being great for a long time. And then you finally hit the point where you meet whoever. Yeah. It's Michael Jordan <laughs> or it's whoever. And that's even the comp comparison, isn't it? Scotty Pippen and, is it Scottie and Michael Pippen Jordan. And Michael yeah. Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that Pippen's response is instead of being mad or rejecting or whatever or acting out he had just attached himself to michael jordan to learn everything he can and and the chef says that's basically what i did yeah. um so there's it's amazingly thoroughly worked out material that that if even if you thought at first oh it seems like it's looser um than the first season it isn't it's it has this kind of tightly woven quality considering that they came out with it rather efficiently quickly yeah it's amazing. Again, it has the quality of old scripts by people who are really good at old scripts in that you can feel the the kind of meshing of it tightening at certain points and going, oh, it's all there. Yes. The <laughs> writing's it all together here. You know, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. There, I think the writing is the greatest virtue of the show. There are so many virtues, but the, you know, it's to me, it's one of the best written shows on TV. Bar yeah, none. it really is. It's startlingly so. Yeah. 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 So, um, do we have final thoughts? I'm trying to think. Is there anything we haven't, <laughs> we haven't harped on already? We've <laughs> I'm sure there is. There's so much you could talk about that I'm sure we haven't. Had. You know, there's yeah. all these. You know, one of the themes is is you know in your endeavor to be great it's you it's you got to be all in you know and there's even a speech by uncle cicero at a certain point to carmy because you know carmy's getting so distracted by his his relationship where it's just like look it can't be anything else but this that's yeah life is going to happen anyway so marcus's mother is beloved mother is dying but he's got to leave to go mm -hmm. get this training you know and there's no way to make up for not being there but he's you know but you've got to make this choice that's just going to cost you no matter what. So every, you know, Natalie, it turns out, has is, is got an unplanned pregnancy that she's negotiating. She's God. horribly nauseated and sick every day. And everyone's yes. like, what's wrong with you? And she won't tell anyone because it's so badly timed. But there's always going to be something. And that's another of the, of the tests. Can you kind of continue on this very onerous path, you know, a maybe once in a lifetime chance that is going to have to sideline everything else. And, and they really find a million, it's amazing how many creative ways they find to dramatize that, that fact. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So makes it daunting for you. If you have any desire to be great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Greatness yes. is very daunting. Uh. Yeah. But anyway, I think, I think that's it. Unless you've got a last, last. I, I do not. Um, all we all we have to leave you with is our heartiest endorsement for the Bear yeah. season two. Yeah. If you haven't yet watched it or even both seasons, get on it. This is this is so bingeable. You will be obsessed. Um, I, I would recommend this. I can't think of anyone I wouldn't recommend this show to. That's yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So we call this this episode Go Bears. Still thinking about the Bear season two. And <laughs> thank you all for listening. Of course, triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in fancy knives. We couldn't think of what the term is. There probably are terms for chef knives and neither of us know it. We can't remember if they said it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, you're a if you're not a subscriber but you like what you hear, please consider signing up for Patreon for all the Film Suck content instead of just half. You can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please join us in two weeks for more fantastic Film Suck content. Until then, thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye.